Hey guys, what's up? It is uh, week 62. I have quite a bit here for you. Uh, first, I want to open this up with, uh, I want to let you guys know what's happening with the uh, Hornets uh, Disciple and the Scar She Left. This was going to be like the meta sequel to the Hornets Sting and the Hell It's Caused by Dustin Mills. He ran to Indiegogo and uh, there were some problems. Uh, it went through, it was successful, everything was fine. Uh, and I guess uh, Indiegogo implemented a new, uh, some sort of new... Um, policy that anything with nudity or gratuitous like uh, nudity or anything like that in the movie will no longer be allowed to be on Indiegogo. Kind of funny they call themselves Indiegogo. Yeah, okay. Um, but regardless, uh, it was effective. Uh, it started in May uh, and it took effect after the campaign ended. So everybody basically was refunded if they donated. Uh, that kind of left Dustin in a pickle because he had investors and he can no longer pay them back. Um, what's happening now is obviously he's running a Kickstarter now that makes it look really bad you know it just doesn't it, i mean it probably a couple people probably you know are blaming dustin for it but it's completely indiegogo's problem and i guess they'll probably implement a lot of things uh in the future and so a lot of people just be warned that if you're going to have gratuitous nudity or or stuff like that then you can't uh you know put your movie on indiegogo without a chance of them uh taking it down and you know a company they they can do what they want but the problem is they implemented that policy after the thing was over and just held the money and kind of uh dicked him around and didn't let him know what was going on because they didn't have the guts to tell him uh and that that's kind of crappy to be honest i mean be blunt be and they um okayed the, the uh, campaign in the beginning so there's actually a link below that explains it much better than me and uh with more details and whatnot uh there probably will be another indiegogo after the uh slumber party uh slaughterhouse or <laughs> um, campaign is over so if you really want to check that movie out um then it is eventually going to be released, but it is put back on the back burner until that other campaign is done. That's unfortunate, though. But uh, you know, uh, Dustin's had a lot of roadblocks lately. You know, with the, uh, you know, there was a lot of problems with the, um, um, geez, uh, her name was Torment Two campaign, and then this. It's just, it's the only thing he didn't need that, and uh, it's kind of like really lame of Indiegogo to implement that after. Uh, you know, they the, the pol it was already over, and then they implement the policy, and then they go back and you know retroactively go back and do that. Uh, regardless, that's that's what's going on with the Hornets uh, disciple and the scar she left. Uh, very unfortunate. But let's hop into the reviews. The first one I'll be reviewing for you is Doom Asylum from Arrow. Yes. I can't believe that Doom Asylum from Arrow is getting got an Arrow release. I remember first seeing this movie when the DVD was released by Code Red, and I had never seen it. It was a slasher movie I had never seen, and me and my friend were super excited to check it out. We got it. We thought the cover looked awesome, the original cover. It'll probably pop up somewhere on the screen. But, uh, yeah, it had this character on the front who looked like a Freddy Krueger knockoff, and we just thought it was the funniest thing ever. We were uh, probably like 20 or so. So we, we put it in, and uh, we were horribly disappointed. We didn't really know what to make of this movie. Doom Asylum is an oddity. Late 80s slasher movie. And I can't, I, I would have guessed the thing, just from memory, I would have guessed that thing's got to be shot on video. But it's not. It's shot on film. And they remastered it on film. Arrow did a great job with this movie. But this, when I first saw it, um, I didn't really know what it was. Uh, 
and I still don't know what the hell it is. Um, Doom Asylum is goofy, it's silly, it's low budget, it's complete nonsense. As a couple familiar faces in here, the star of Frankenhooker is in here, and uh, one of the ladies from uh, Psychos in Love and a bunch of other B-movies pops up in here, and uh, Kristen Davis from Sex and the City. So there's that going for it. It has a couple recognizable faces. Uh, basically, the plot is a guy gets in a car accident, he loses his fiance, he gets all mangled, he kind of comes back from the dead somewhat on the coroner's table, and he uh, ends up hiding out in this asylum. Uh, ten years later, these kids show up to the asylum and they start getting picked off. There's a punk band there. They're really obnoxious. Everybody is these weird characters. They're over the top. It's self-aware, but at times it's just so weird and bananas that you don't know if they're trying to be stupid or trying to be ridiculous and almost trying to fail or they actually are failing. That's what we have going on with this movie. Uh, it has practical effects. Of course, it was made in the late 80s, so there's that going for it. And uh, even bad practical effects are fun practical effects sometimes um i will say that uh, some of the effects are pretty good some of the effects are pretty lousy some uh you know are just really really uh poor you know stuff like uh somebody gets their head crushed with forceps not crushed i should just say they put blood on the forceps looks really cheesy but, uh, yeah, that's Doom Asylum. There's two commentaries on here. Uh, one with, uh, I believe it was uh, Hysteria Continues, the slasher podcast. That one's fun. They poke fun at the movie a little bit. And uh, one was with some of the people who actually made the film. The original commentary I don't think is on here with the director. I don't think it is. But uh, there's some interviews on here with some of the actresses. It was really fun to watch. And, I, I, and it was nice to hear that commentary that realized that this movie is sort of goofy. And it's supposed to be. Because when I originally watched it, I just thought it was a massive failure but now i understand that it's supposed to be campy it's supposed to be campy but is it really campy because they're trying to be campy on purpose so it's kind of like attack of the killer tomatoes kind of deal but it's also trying to be it's just an oddity like it doesn't really know its tone and the killer has a bunch of uh, dumb one-liners they're really bad um i mean they're so bad you don't even roll your eyes you kind of just veg out and stare at the screen like really uh there's there's some funny moments like I said it's complete nonsensical it's strange strange movie and uh, you'll either love it or you'll hate it um, <laughs> I don't and then I'm gonna say that and then say I don't really know how I feel about it but uh, I think the more you watch it the more you like it but um, you know it's crap because it's not good. It's not good at all. It's just ridiculously stupid. I can't believe it's on Blu-ray, but it, it looks really good. There is some inserts that are, uh, you know, uh, like standard def, just a couple here and there. Uh, but it is in beautiful widescreen for the most part, and it looks really good. Uh, there's moments where I did laugh, and it is short, and uh, I enjoyed the commentaries more than the movie itself. And there's an interview with the special effects artist on here, and uh, he went on to do a lot of big things. Uh, and he's talking about, he's like, I didn't even know what I was doing. And uh, sometimes it shows, sometimes uh, he surprises you with some good effects, but it is Doom Asylum. Uh, it's just one of the ones you gotta have if you like slashers, you like offbeat, really silly movies, because it's exactly that. And he said, uh, Marx's prose would make Hemingway turn over in his grave. Her death scene reminds me of one from Jason X, except it, it, instead of acid, there's, um, 
liquid nitrogen. Driving through the night, I would literally sleep in cars while I would get to the next set at the next morning. The film didn't take itself too seriously, and I think that's part of the appeal. We're using a real drill bit. <laughs> you see where I'm going here, all right? And we're putting this against the guy's forehead. Okay, guys, the next one here is Monster X. Didn't know much about this. This is a horror anthology released by MBD. So I put it in. I was like, I don't know what to expect. And uh, I didn't even know it was an anthology until basically it started. Um, and uh, I jumped right into a story here. Um, this is... Um, it starts out in a movie theater, and it's basically like a couple on one of their first dates going to check out an all-night horathon. The guy's a big horror fan. The girl's not. We've seen that set up before. Um, what's funny is... Um, I actually like the setup in this one. It's it's pretty fun. I like the theater location. It looks pretty good. But we get into it. We start watching the movies, and it's obvious they're not directed by the same director. I know, like, or the same filmmakers. They're just kind of a bunch of shorts thrown in a movie with a wraparound. And uh, it kind of cuts it in here and there okay, but it doesn't perfectly work. Um, I like the setup doing it this way much better than just finding a VHS uh, tape and putting it in and be like, oh, let's watch some tapes, because that's like 30 anthologies now after VHS. Uh, but um, Monster X, like I said, um, the wraparound is a pretty cool setup. And we have uh, three or four stories in here. Um, three of them come to mind right away. And that's why I always have a problem with these anthologies. I'll watch them, and then I won't remember all the stories off the top of my head. And if I, I, I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's only three. But... If there's four, I'm a moron. So um, we have the first one is a Banshee story. And this is the best of the bunch. It's actually creepy. I like that it has this uh, mythology with the Banshee in here. It seems like they did some research and they create this kind of old folk scary story about a woman and her husband who are kind of uh, at the mercy of this Banshee. And uh, it's generally creepy, actually. And uh, there's a detective who gets involved. And the way they do the music, the way they keep the creature in the, the background and the shadows, they just do a good job with it. So it's actually a spooky, kind of scary, nice little story that uh, started the anthology out pretty good. Uh, the next one is a werewolf story, which is from another anthology I've already seen, which I can't remember exactly what it is. And it was probably one of the better ones of that one. This one is tongue-in-the-cheek. It's silly, um, and it, it works. It's kind of cute. Um, I like the werewolves. That's pretty much it. I'm not going to review it a second time. I don't even remember the anthology that it was from, but I know that it was, again, shoehorned in there. But uh, it deserves to be watched, and it's, like I said, cutesy and fun. These kids sneak into this uh, theater, and there is some sort of, uh, you know, um, there's something wrong with the people in there, and uh, you'll pretty much know immediately what's going on. But there's a twist, of course, similar to The Secret from Season 2 of Tales from the Crypt. Uh, and then we, then we cut back to, like, the anthology storyline, and then they, like, kind of tie in, like, the creature from that 
short. And they keep doing that, and I kind of like that. That's effective, but the effects in the uh, wrap round are compared to that short are not as good, and it's just like that's pretty corny looking. But um, the the last one I remember is a vampire story, and this one again is by I believe the same director of the Banshee story, and this one feels a lot like a Tales from the Crypt story. This one is also fairly well made and has a nice twist. Uh, it, it's uh, serviceable. This whole thing is pretty decent, pretty fun. I've seen a lot worse ways to uh, waste an evening than watching this. It's pretty short, and uh, it's it's not uh, annoying. It's not terrible. And uh, oh, of course, there's the, the last story involves a, a babysitter and a little kid, and this one's okay. This is probably my least favorite of the bunch but uh it involves a kid who has uh you know this weird problem with monsters in there it's not perfect it's kind of uh just okay but uh in monster x if you if you have a few bucks to spare or you want to check it out you like anthologies you want to see some shorts basically it's some th shorts thrown together it's okay i i kind of enjoyed it uh no complaints uh it's pleasantly surprised it was a pleasant surprise you know Uh, the next one here 24 by 36 and this is basically a documentary about the fandom of poster collecting uh the movie starts out um in the beginning with um kind of showing the history of posters and that's pretty cool they show a lot of you know how uh, posters came to be and how the artist originally consigned them and uh you know how much a lot of these old posters that are worth hundreds and hundreds of dollars are just being found in walls basically as uh, insulation because at the time no one really knew they were going to be worth anything and uh that's pretty much the first 20 minutes of the movie artists talking about you know the guys who got their start the best artists there were around at the time and a bunch of people and it jumps from decades the decade and then at times we get to the present time and then they show how the art changed to the floating heads and everything and they show a lot of posters from the modern era and they're just so bad and then they talk about screen printing and how everything's changing the landscape and all these collectors and they have people in there they have artists they have collectors they start to have discussions about whether it's okay to take something that you don't have a copyright on and start drawing it and uh, you know selling it as prints and there's artists that agree with it that disagree with it there's some in the middle all this stuff is interesting interesting and uh, it's a nice documentary I love seeing a lot of the posters in here and a lot of the you know uh, modern poster versions of movies that I grew up loving and a lot of the ones you know like the late 90s and 2000s getting the good nice Mondo posters that they deserve and uh, it's also they, there's fans worried about the bubble bursting that they're not going to get any more posters if the you know the second market prices keep going up and everybody gets oversaturated with things and then pretty much at the end of the day it's just over it's an interesting doc if you like posters if you like fandom like you know I'm interested in that stuff like kind of like
like the VHS documentaries that came out a while ago. It reminds me a lot of those. I've never been a poster collector because it's, I don't need to be collecting anything else. As you can tell, I have a sickness, as uh, all collectors do. But, uh, you know, uh, one sickness will put you in the poorhouse or kill you, and this one's... Uh, a little bit healthier than a lot of them out there, but 24 by 36, it's fun, it's cool, it's interesting. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit, actually. It's just a great, fun watch. It's a very easy watch, too. When I was a kid, the first connection you would have with a movie is seeing the poster. But I had a neighborhood theater, and uh, when I would go to the movies, they would have a hall where they had six or seven posters for pictures that were coming. And that's how you could gauge what you were going to do with the next couple of months of your life. Prior to about 1965, they never really gave the artists credit for their work. That said, people now want the original release poster for a Bob Peek film or uh, a Struzan film. Movie poster art is revered now. Um, the ironic thing is that as much as we love it, um, it's an art that is pretty much dead. The studios aren't hiring illustrators anymore. And it's sad. The fans have taken it upon themselves to uh, create magic. That's, that's, that's incredible. Do I think that what we're doing is gonna impact commercial films? It gives me hope. It's, it's purely a love thing. Okay, guys, the next one here is from Criterion. This is a DVD. I've had it for years and never watched it. I finally popped it in and took the plunge with Man Bites Dog. I believe this is 1992. I just looked at the back. I knew it was early 90s. And you know what I'm going to say about Man Bites Dog? This is a crazy movie. Uh, this predates August Underground. This predates Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. It predates Dirty Cop, No Donut. And uh, it's a lot like those movies. It, it, it predates them for sure. It's like they decided to make a, um, a feature-length version of the scene in Henry Port Portrait of a Serial Killer with Tom Tolles and uh, and uh, uh, Michael Rooker when they invade the house. They made a, a full-length version of that, but in a dark comedic tone. I've heard a lot of people talk about this for years. This is, uh, I believe, a Belgium or a French film at Belgium, but uh, it's by three filmmakers. Uh, all of them uh, didn't go on to do too many things except uh, the lead actor in here. He um, actually went on to do quite a bit. He's also a filmmaker. The directors and the lead actors all play in the movie. Uh, it's very strange. Uh, it's a low-budget movie about low-budget filmmaking as they explained when they were being interviewed so they could get away with looking low-budget. Uh, there's uh, this documentary crew that decided to make a documentary about this uh, killer, this criminal, this serial killer, and he's basically funding the movie himself. He is a sociopath. He's he's obnoxious. He's loud. He never stops talking, and he's he's a hypocritical monster, of course. He's a, he's a crazy, he's a crazed killer. Uh, his, a lot of his 
family has no clue that he is this monster and um, uh, some of his friends they have to understand his uh, sickness but um, they basically follow him around while he does his exploits he uh, steals money he's mostly a criminal that uh, likes to kill and take money and do things but he also is somebody that he obviously enjoys the killing and he enjoys the thrill and uh Basically, what he does is he gets all these filmmakers involved with his murderous crime, and they basically become assets, or I mean, like, not, what is it, uh, assets in his murders. Yes, they become part of the murders as it goes on and on. And is it a statement about the more you watch these movies, the more you become involved with them and whatnot? I don't know. But, uh... The movie is uh, is very strange. It feels, um, you know, very gorilla at times when they're running through things. It's black and white. Um, there's some really brilliant, funny moments. A lot of them are are, are on this uh, lead guy's performance. He's such a monster. There's some gratuitous uh, stuff in here, too. Some really uncomfortable scenes involving a rape scene and all sorts of things here. And that's basically when it comes to a, a full, um, you know, uh, the, the filmmakers had, like, turn that page and they're no they're just as bad as a killer if not worse at that point uh there's quite a bit funny moments in here um there's a a, a jab at via a shot on video in here which is lovely uh with the filmmakers coming across another set of filmmakers he says uh, the killer says look at this big camera talking about the other film crew they meet and he says we don't want that that's a uh, video and he just throws it on the ground what are we on film and he throws it theirs on the ground but i i love that kind of scene and um there's a place where he dumps the bodies that they keep doing it and it keeps coming back and that scene is just uh the way they do it the way they keep coming back to it almost becomes comical as it is uh disgusting um it's just it's it's a very uh very good movie and i'd love to see it again this is one that i will revisit and i think it is um very unique to be honest and the way they cut in some of the shots they'll just cut in randomly he'll be talking and there'll be a scene and then they'll just cut him in like him like shooting like a dozen different people at different times and and, and whatnot and and that stuff is just really kind of uh jarring to be honest and it's exactly what it's supposed to be it's it's really well made uh, it's really well acted and uh it's equal parts disturbing it as is funny i laughed at times and i said oh geez oh my god right there that's pretty rough but uh it, it's really good and uh I, I like it i mean it feels uh raw it feels you know interesting it's just good stuff and you know and it predates so much stuff that i guarantee had to be inspired by it or maybe it was just and, and like i guarantee like you know what i mean it, it, it's it's unique and uh, is ahead of its time. And uh, I, I like this. I waited years because I was hoping for a Blu-ray. There's no uh, English-friendly Blu-ray out there. But uh, you know, this uh, Criterion DVD, uh, it looks it looks good. I mean, it is shot in uh, like a gorilla kind of cheap style, so it doesn't look perfect. You know, it's grainy as it's supposed to be. But uh, there's an interview with the directors about eight minutes. There's one of their short films on here as well. And there's a trailer. There's not much. It's kind of a weak uh, Criterion release, to be honest. But if you have Filmstruck, it's on there as well. But I know a lot of people have talked about it. I, I'm pretty sure Pure Cinema Podcast has talked about it. I'm pretty sure Rob Galuzzo from Shockwaves Podcast has talked about it. I've heard about it for years. And like I said, I've always wanted to see it. But uh, really good stuff. Highly recommended for people that like stuff like, uh, you know, um, even Natural Born Killers or... Um, more does like I said, August Underground. It, it predates these movies, and uh, I think it's uh, important and very cool. Tu vois, il y a un barème quand tu laisses un corps, c'est-à-dire tu fais trois fois son poids. Normalement, un homme moyen comme cette victime ci c'est trois fois son poids. 
Mais sinon, par exemple, ça change, hein, tu vois, pour les enfants ou pour les nains, ça change. Pour un enfant, est... il est plus léger, un enfant, hein. C'est deux fois son poids. C'est quatre fois son poids. Comment Non, non, parfois, par exemple, pour les nains, c'est une fois son poids. C'est beaucoup plus lourd, hein. Les os sont beaucoup plus lourds chez un nain, donc c'est une fois le poids. Une vieille dame, par exemple, ou un vieil homme, cinq fois le poids. Les os sont poreux, déjà, hein. L'amour, elle laisse comme une traînée de soufre derrière lui, comme une odeur qui traîne. Et que malgré tout, dès que tu rencontres quelqu'un, tu sens. Un peu comme quand tu vas pisser et que tu sens tes doigts. Ben, zoom sur ta machine. Tu vois, généralement, au début de mois, je me paye un petit facture. Hein. Je me lève le matin et je prends un matinée pour récolter les pensions. Ce qui me permet, par la même occasion, tu vois, de de repérer les, les vieux qui ont de l'argent. Hein. Nous sommes une équipe de télévision oui. et nous effectuons un reportage sur les vieilles personnes et la solitude oui. dans les grandes cités. Oui. Auriez-vous l'obligeance de répondre à quelques questions, s'il vous plaît Moi, je veux bien. Éteins un peu ta lumière. <rire> Coupe ça, imbécile Uh, the next one here I'm going to review was uh, sent over by uh, the lead actor from it. He uh, basically contacted me and asked me if I wanted to review it, and he sent uh, the producer sent me a screener. It's uh, Russell Banks. It's uh, Russell Jeffrey Banks is the lead actor in this movie, and it's it's Who's Watching Oliver. This is a brand new movie from 2018. Right now it is on like Vudu and everything like that. Uh, if you want to check it out on Vudu and iTunes and stuff. So um, yeah, this is a 2018 serial killer film, and I hadn't heard much about it. I believe it is a British film. And right off the bat, it was giving me the movie Tony vibes. You ever seen Tony, anybody out there? It's a British serial killer movie that is, like, darkly comedic, and uh, it stars in a very, very awkward character. Oliver is a very, very awkward character. Uh, we have this guy who has mommy issues. His mom basically makes him pick up prostitutes, uh, sodomize them, and kill them, and uh, he doesn't want to do it. She's on a webcam pretty much the whole time, yelling at him and telling him what to do. And that's pretty much the entire movie. You know what's going to happen. It's the typical thing where she, uh, he ends up meeting a girl that um, his mother doesn't approve of. Of course, she doesn't approve of anything. And uh, there's a, you know, kind of a power struggle between the computer mom and the girlfriend. The girlfriend has a damaged past, too. And that's pretty much the plot. There is some uh, nifty uh, camera work in the beginning, like, what I like when he's going through the amusement park and stuff. That's pretty cool. And uh, there's some graphic murders in here. And, uh, and there's a nice montage scene at the end, which kind of came out of left field. Uh, it was a little bit more violent than the rest of the film, and I was kind of surprised. Uh, The stuff the mother says is really, really gross and really intense, and and uh, it, it makes you very uncomfortable. When I was watching it, I was thinking, "Oh man, I uh, I knew the person who I lived with." I was like, "Ah, they don't. They're hearing this. They're thinking." <laughs> I'm like, "I don't know what they're thinking right now." But uh, I think the lead is an interesting performance. It's a strange performance. He keeps his jaw like this, and he's just really weird and strange and. Um, It's a dedicated performance for sure. I think that his performance is the best in the film. I think the mother, and I don't like to do this typically because I know independent acting and stuff, and I know that um, it, it doesn't feel particularly good to be singled out in a movie saying you were poor in it because, you know, I'm probably, I've been there and somebody, but uh, it, it, it just got to be honest. I think that the mother character is a little weak in it, but I mean, this could be due to having to act in a, green, in, you know, a webcam. She's probably just 
you know, memorized your lines and went for it and didn't have much interaction. And I can understand that being a little difficult and maybe she just wasn't good with the dialogue, but I thought that performance was a little weak and uh, it, it kind of hurt the film for me. Uh, I think if that performance would have been a little bit stronger. And, and for the most part, it is kind of a character study about a killer and, uh, you know, it's pretty typical in that aspect. We've seen this kind of stuff before. It's not horrible. It's not great to me either. But, uh, you know, I would watch, check out the uh, filmmakers' other movies, and I would be interested to, you know, to see. And it's got it's a good role for the lead, you know, to showcase some of his talents and range being a weirdo. But, you know, it, it's not a perfect movie. And uh, it's, it's tonally, it's very strange because at times it's darkly comedic, but a lot of times the murders are really graphic and it, it's just gross at the same time. The first 10 minutes, I was like, oh, this is pretty funny. And then the first murder happened and I was like, this isn't funny at all. I don't know what this is going for, to be honest. And, uh, you know, like I'm trying to think of some other, you know, British serial killer movies that remind me, Mom and Dad maybe. But uh, I, I think that this one falls short of Tony and probably Mom and Dad. But it is an interesting movie if you like serial killer movies. I'm coming like at the mid-range on this one. Uh, worth maybe a, a rental or watching the trailer and seeing if you'll enjoy it. But I appreciate them sending it over for me to check out. That's uh, Who's Watching Oliver. <laughs> Okay, the next one here is uh, from Kino Lorber. This is what, 68? Yeah, this is the year before the Wild Bunch for uh, William Holden. This is the Devil's Brigade. Yeah, pretty cool. Has a nice little cast in there. You guys will recognize Richard Jekyll, William Holden. Who else pops up in here? Uh, oh, geez, Cliff Robertson from the Great Northfield, Minnesota Raid. And uh, Malone, which I recently reviewed. But yeah, the Devil's Brigade. A guy recommended this to me at work, and I had seen it already. I had bought it already, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna finally check this one out. Uh, this is based on a true story about a group of, um, you know, American misfit soldiers that no one wanted, criminals, uh, derelicts, stuff like that, um, and a group of the best uh, Canadian soldiers, and they basically are mixed together to create this uh, crack force team. They go through grueling training together, very similar to Dirty Dozen, to be honest. That came the year previous, where these guys uh, hate each other's guts at first they have to work together and eventually they become a mean lean fighting machine a great team that uh you know respects each other and they go on missions the most of the movie is them learning to work together and training and it, it plays for laughs a lot of the times similar to the dirty dozen and uh, at the end of the movie there's a couple big uh, missions that go on and you see a lot of the characters get developed and a lot of relationships and then you see them get killed and that works dramatically for sure william holden's good in it as he always is uh especially when he butts heads with guys like carol O'Connor, who's a place a general in here, and others. 
Uh, Claude Ankins is also really fun in this movie. He plays this big, big burly guy who uh, always has it out for this guy called Peacock, who's also a pretty big guy on the Canadian side. Uh, their relationship's the best in the movie, to be honest. Richard Jekyll, I love. Uh, all these guys look way too old to be in the military, to be honest, uh, at that young age, but that doesn't ever really bother me. Andrew uh, Prine is in this as well. Um, kind of a weird uh, uh, role for him, you know, a little bit shaky to be honest. Not his finest role, I don't think. But uh, it also uh, Andrew Prine and Richard Jekyll went on to do Grizzly together after this. Uh, Richard Jekyll in this movie gives a good performance as a you know acrobatic kind of guy who climbs the mountain. Uh, the final uh, you know battle in here uh, requires this team to go through a grueling crawl this mountain, crawl, uh, climb this mountain, and get the uh, drop on these Nazi soldiers. And the action stuff is pretty solid. Uh, the comedic stuff in the beginning is pretty solid and this is like kind of a tone with these movies like I just was saying like tonally like how who's watching Oliver didn't really work while well, the Devil's Brigade is the tone from the 60s they would kind of do this even in like the Wild Bunch they would have moments of comedy between the guys and this kind of like it makes you like characters it's an easy uh, device to you know enjoy characters to be honest if you make them like have laughs together the audience laughs with them they like them and then they watch them die, and it's an easy dramatic piece. But uh, I actually enjoy this one. It, it reminds me of a lot, you know, like The Dirty Dozen or something. A lesser Dirty Dozen, but it's a good movie. There's a commentary on here, and uh, it is a true story, so I, I like that too. Uh, I don't know how accurate it is, but uh, it's good stuff. I think that if you like the along the lines of The Dirty Dozen and The Great Escape and stuff like that, you'll really dig The Devil's Brigade. Just when you think you've seen it all, along comes The Devil's Brigade. Action with a devil edge, because it really happened. Welcome to the first special service force. You Canadians, I'm told, are the hand-picked best of the best trained army in the world. You Americans, for the most part, have an entirely different reputation. I've been supplied with full details on your military and moral delinquency. And I couldn't care less. The Devil's Brigade. The spit and the polish. Peacock. 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 <laughs> the brass-knuckled Americans. <laughs> the brass-buttoned Canadians. What they did to each other was nothing compared to what they would do to the enemy. You have a specific complaint, Major. Yes, sir, I sure as hell do. One of those stupid jerks out there broke into my room and stole my rattlesnake. You don't need all that space, do you? Even with that enormous fat behind of yours? The human body has numerous vulnerable points. The elbow, the ribs, the neck. What I don't understand is, sir, why are you pitting them against each other? I have less than four months left to convert this misbegotten outfit into the Army's finest combat unit. You know, if fraternizing with the Canucks, that comes under the heading of treason. Ladies associate with gentlemen, not baboons. A hellish band of men that hated each other more than the enemy until they met the enemy. Mount La Defensa. It's on the road to Rome, flanked all around by mountains. 
Mountain of defense is the key point in this entire sector. We're trying for three weeks to take it away from the Germans. We've had total failure. And we've had heavy casualties. But we got to get it. A band of men the enemy soon called the Devil's Brigade. The Devil's Brigade, the most unusual bunch of men ever thrown together to win a war. The Devil's Brigade, William Holden, Cliff Robertson, Vince Edwards, Michael Rennie, Dana Andrews, Gretchen Weiler, Andrew Prime, Claude Aikens, Carol O'Connor, Richard Jekyll, Jack Watson, Paul Horning, Gene Fulmer. Just when you think you've seen it all, along comes the Devil's Brigade. Okay, now it's time for the VHS Voyage. And I did have a Betamax of this, but I didn't feel like digging it out. But here's the bootleg, the Ladies Club. Yeah, this was made, uh, what was this, 87. And uh, it, it looks a little, it look, feels a little older than 87, to be honest. But uh, the Ladies Club, this was based on a book. Uh, yeah, uh, this movie stars... I don't know, but guess who's in it? Uh, <laughs> I can't think of any of the major stars. They don't really stick out. Uh, Bruce Davidson, duh. That's one. He's a side character. And Nicholas Worth in here as well. Um, there's a lot of familiar faces, but none of them stand out except like the kind of like the big role characters in this movie. And I'm, I'm a big into the character actors. Bruce Davidson's in here. Nicholas Worth's in here. I love the plot of this movie. I love revenge films. And uh, this one is just one of these kind of lost revenge films that uh, I, I, I feel like is solid and it doesn't get much recognition but what happens here is it's a group of women who band together after being raped or um, losing a loved one due to rape and murder and uh, they create the ladies club they come from all walks of life police officers doctors lawyers whatever it is and uh, they um, so they basically work together and they decide to grab a two-time three-time career uh, rapist uh, lure them in, uh, drug them, and castrate them, and release them. So it becomes kind of this vigilante, uh, you know, sensation on television that these women are grabbing rapists and um, um, basically castrating them. Uh, and uh, to be honest, I love that concept. I love this kind of stuff. To be honest, and uh, it's nice to actually see the women getting the revenge on uh, the rapist this time around. Uh, a lot of times, it's uh, you see a lot of these movies where a woman's raped, and then this guy's like, "I'm gonna defend her," and then the movie becomes not about the woman anymore; it's about the defender. And I like those movies, but it, it, they lose a little bit of uh, you know, I'm, I'm, what am I trying to say? They lose a little bit of their integrity. Not to be a complete jerk, but you know, it's more less about the uh, dealing with. The, what happened to them less drama more action at that point and 
I like both of them, but this one, you know, actually feels like a drama. In fact, maybe a little bit too much drama at times. It almost feels like just kind of a brutal Lifetime movie. And when the violence happens, it's pretty graphic in here. Nicholas Worth plays one of the rapists, of course, and uh, he gives a tremendous performance. He always does. Yeah, if you guys don't know Nicholas Worth, he's one of my favorite uh, character actors. He always played like a thug. Uh, his most memorable roles are probably from Don't Answer the Phone, where he plays Kurt uh, Smith, I believe. Kirk Smith, the strangler in that. He's a really nasty killer. And Pauly from Dark Man. But he pops up in tons of stuff like Swamp Thing, Hell Comes to Frog Town, uh, Blood Dolls. He's in numerous movies. He's always excellent. City Heat. Uh, yeah, he plays one of the rapists, and uh, his, his role is very good. And, uh, of course, he gets castrated. And, <laughs> and he just... It, 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 I know I shouldn't be laughing, but his scenes almost kind of played for laughs at a time like that, that deep bellowing voice uh, and whatnot. But um, yeah, uh, I like this movie. I like what happens at the end, and they and it does kind of tackle the idea of losing oneself and all this and becoming a monster and whatnot. It's it's a solid movie. I'd like to see it get a release. It deserves a, a nice release here. Uh, like I said, I don't think it's ever had a DVD release anywhere. Uh, it's it, it feels uh, very like TV movie at times, but it also feels a little uh, gritty and it pushes boundaries a little bit. Um, and what, like I said, when the violence happens, there's a couple scenes in here that are fairly graphic um, and uh, a little bothersome, to be honest. But uh, I like the lead female in the movie, too. She's tough as nails. She kicks ass. But... Uh, you know, this is one of the movies that I'd like to see get a, a, a Blu-ray release or DVD release. And I think that it would look a little bit better cleaned up and maybe hear some insight on the movie, the filmmakers and whatnot. But The Ladies Club, I really like it. An innocent teenager. Violated. A devoted mother. Violated. A trained policewoman. And still, she was violated. He's going to give you something you ain't never, ever going to forget. I was raped, and I don't feel like I'll ever be the same again. Violated. You ever been to a rape trial? May I suggest, Miss Taylor, is that you invited them into your home. Even my husband thought it was my fault. She kept saying she wanted it harder, harder. The laws don't protect us, and I don't believe they ever will. You Seven who were violated are taking charge of their lives again. What we're doing is extremely dangerous, and if we get caught, we'll go to prison. The risks. The danger. What's the matter? You afraid of me? The violence. God damn it! How could you do such a thing? I will not stand by and let other men like Dwyer do those things without being punished. Ugh. Don't tell me you never thought that somebody might get killed. Violated. It's shocking, but it is justice. Okay, the pick a movie this week was uh, by Tim Hayes. He's been requesting this one for years. Uh, not years, but uh, maybe, a, maybe a year. But Beyond the Valley of the Dolls from Criterion. You know what? I had never seen this movie. In fact, I had never seen a Russ Meyer movie. I know it's bad, right? Russ Meyer did so many things faster. Pussycat, Kill, Kill. He has a bunch of movies on his resume. And you know what? A lot of them never been released on Blu-ray. This is one of the only ones. Uh, there is a movie called Valley of the Dolls, but this one's kind of unrelated. This, in fact, is kind of a spoof uh, of Valley of the Dolls, which is basically about Hollywood taking over one's souls and losing one's soul and being exploited by Hollywood. Uh, this was made in 1970. This is written by Roger Ebert and directed by Russ Meyer, who is an infamous kind of uh, exploit 
exploitation exploitation filmmaker who uh, served in World War II. He, uh, you know, cut his nails and uh, learned how to make films by like being a photographer in World War II and making industrial videos. And uh, the man had an obsession with large breasts. That's why you know there's a lot of boundary pushing in this movie. Um, what's cool about Beyond the Valley, the dolls, uh, but it's also kind of a a little bit uh, juggling, like. At the time, I bet people looked at this as progressive, and uh, people were like, yeah, they're showing these characters in a film. But now I think they would look at it as uh, the complete opposite. I think they would see the characters, the um, lesbianism and the transsexual people in the movie as being uh, negatively uh, looked at or having negative outcomes in the movie as something that is... <laughs> Uh, a negative, uh, you know, response to them. But at the time, man, this movie probably was more progressive than a lot of other movies. Uh, it has some familiar faces in here for me. Um, it has uh, Jack Napier or Napier in here and uh, Harrison Page, who pops up in Lionheart, which I reviewed a little bit ago, and he's very young in here. Um, this is a very strange movie. Of course, we have this uh, this female band, so there's a music element to it. So we have this musical stuff going on. All the musical numbers are great. They're fun. Um, it's a hippie movie. There's lots of hippies, lots of sex, lots of drugs, lots of nudity, and uh, whatnot. So we have that, this girl band. They basically go to Hollywood to meet one of their aunts and realize that she has some money coming. She gets tied in with these, uh, you know, uh, sophisticated L.A. actors and musicians and all these people in the movie. And uh, there's tons of zany characters, tons of weird characters. Uh, the guy who's basically running the place, he's this big record producer. He uh, is this very, very strange guy. Um, he is so weird, and I love his performance. He is, uh, back in the day when they would portray every homosexual character as like just evil or kind of like um cunning evil like kind of like fire and ice like that character and i always like those characters i know those uh you know just like I know it's probably negative but i i'd rather see that uh evil homosexual character than the overly flamboyant kind of uh girly character that they're just basically laughing at the whole time if that makes any sense i guess neither are probably you know positive to people but Hey, it was 1970, so, uh, yeah, but it, it, it had tackles a lot of issues, like it has a, a lesbian relationship in here, it has a abortion in here, it has a lot of laughs and a lot of zaniness, and uh, I wouldn't call it campiness, because the weirdness is kind of on purpose, and like they said in a lot of the features on here, these were two outsiders, Russ Meyer and Roger Ebert, writing and making this movie, uh, 20th Century Fox produced it, so it had this uh, element that it was a big budget weird movie, because we had outsiders making it laughing at Hollywood, and making a satire of Hollywood, and not exactly knowing how it worked at the same time, so we have these characters playing it completely straight, but being very very weird at the same time and all sorts of crazy things happening there's an end closeout narration that is just absurd to be honest it's just like what's going on again it's one of these movies that they said at the time people were just like what is this i don't get this is this supposed to be funny is this supposed to be serious and uh it is it's a unique movie to be honest i liked watching it i enjoyed watching it it gets violent at the end it gets crazy at the end it's one of these deals where it opens up with a scene from the what happens towards the end of the movie i don't know if people like that i know moods from 22 shots of a moods and horror podcast hates that he can't stand that but uh i think it's uh it works in this one in this context 
I enjoyed the music. It's catchy. Uh, I love when they go to the party scenes and you see all these zany, weird characters going on. Uh, it's a mixture of, of, you know, a bunch of different things going on here. And uh, the, the reveal here uh, definitely inspired some other movies, to be honest. I don't want to... Maybe a trauma movie uh, that's pretty popular uh, that hasn't got a Blu-ray release. I'll leave it at that, and then that without spoiling too much. Uh, the Blu-ray, it looks great. It's Criterion. It looks very good. There's interviews with a bunch of the people involved with the movie. Uh, I love seeing that. John Waters is on here talking about the movie. I love seeing that. Uh, a lot of other people on here, filmmakers and creative types talking about how the movie inspired them and how much they love it and uh, i really dig that and john waters is really fun to listen to he's one of those interesting guys that's uh he even pokes points out that stuff like the transsexual stuff and he's just like i don't think they would like that nowadays and there's no doubt they wouldn't i mean people don't like much of anything nowadays no matter who they are i just people just seem they're just ready to get mad about something but uh yeah i, I really enjoyed it i really enjoyed the release uh you know i'm gonna check out some more russ meyer stuff but this one was really really cool and lots of skin lots of uh good looking people uh not wearing many clothes and that should get you in there uh to watch it there's good music there's good uh you know good skin and uh Lots of laughs, you know, lots of good things going on. There's some gore in here, too. There's some dramatic moments, but uh, it's great. It's one of a kind. It's it's full. It's one of these deals where it's full of zany, weird characters, and I, I dig that stuff for sure. Recently, 20th Century Fox had two great ideas. To make a film called Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, and to get Russ Meyer to write, produce, and direct it. This is Russ Meyer, 240 pounds of creative energy. For years, he's been making very moving pictures for very little money. Yet there was something about his films, like The Immoral Mr. Tease and Vixen, that sparked the public's imagination. That something was Meyer's infallible eye for picking beautiful women. This time, they've really gone beyond the Valley of the Dolls, with Russ Meyer supplying a dazzling selection of traveling companions and brand new stars. Dolly Reed as Kelly, the singer. Cynthia Myers as Casey, the swinger. Marsha McBroom as Pet, the soul sister. Edie Williams as Ashley, the superstar. Erica Gavin as Roxanne, the sensualist. And Phyllis Davis as Susan, the insider. A sweet talking old candy man. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls has all the elements drama, love, mystery, music. But the most important element is the guy who put it all together, Russ Meyer. This is not a sequel, there has never been anything like it. Let's get into the drawing. Somebody wanted me to dump this bag out and make sure whose names are in here. Should I do it, guys? 
Let me know if you guys really want me to do it to make sure everybody's name's in there, and I will do it next time for you guys. But I keep adding you in there. If you ever want to have me pick a movie, uh, let me know. Uh, who is it? Uh, Jonathan uh, Bludgeon uh, won last time. He picked Hell of the Living Dead by Bruno Mattei, so that'll be the next week. I've seen so many Bruno Mattei movies lately. But if you ever want to enter, leave a, a comment on the Screaming Toilet page, a Facebook page, a YouTube page. I'll get you in there. And if you haven't been drawn out yet, you're still in here if you entered. Let's see what we got. Who's coming out this time? Buzzworthy. There you go. Buzzworthy. Let me know what you want me to watch. And you'll have to re-enter if you want back in the baggie. Okay. Let's get into the Q&A here. What do we got here? Uh, Nick. A bunch of questions by Nick because I missed last week. So he has tons more. Uh, has any horror movie ever given you nightmares or alternatively inspired you for one of your short films? I mean, movies have probably given me nightmares, like particularly when I was younger, like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Everybody had the Freddy nightmares, stuff like that. Um, and Jacob's Ladder always scared me. I'm sure I had nightmares from that one. Basically, probably from its editing techniques and stuff. Um, inspired you for one of... Yeah, lots of horror movies have inspired me to make my shorts. Um, Brain Busters, a short and slimy little bastards, was definitely inspired by David Cronenberg. Um, that was for sure inspired by Cronenberg. And my little monster shorts, little creature ones, are ghoulies, man. Ghoulies all day long. Uh, why do you think people of color, gay people, are regulated to cannon fodder in horror films or are always portrayed as stereotypes? That's a good question. Um, and I think that um, nowadays if you see a, a super stereotypical African-American character, you're just like, really? Like uh, I was watching this slasher movie. I can't remember what it was called, The Butchers. And uh, I think it was called that. And uh, they had this African-American woman who was just a straight, like, 1970s stereotype. And I was like, are we still doing this? Is this supposed to be, like, satirical? Or are you guys serious? Is this written in the 70s? What's going on? Like, I almost felt embarrassed for the movie. But uh, I, I don't know. I think that uh, people are more comfortable when they, uh, like... It, with homosexual characters, I'll say, like, if they see them, like I said, as, like, the evil, like, flamboyant, like, kind of evil, powerful gay one, or, like, the uh, girly, flamboyant character, I mean, I don't know, I, they become almost like jokes in the movie, or, you know, cliches, and I, I don't particularly like seeing that in a serious movie, especially, I don't get offended by it when I see, like, uh, you know, stereotypes in movies, especially old movies, that's just how movies were, you gotta take it with it, how it is, like, if you watch a, like, something like Real Bravo, and you see, like, uh, the Hispanic character is just like played as a stereotype but he's never played in a negative light just a stereotype stuff like that it doesn't really bother me I mean, I, I can watch a movie and see the time frame, but like newer newer movies, they almost try to make up for the stereotypes that a lot of them will do, and they'll just make these characters like perfect angels or whatnot. And I just would like to see people portrayed as real people, no matter what, it, it, you know what I mean? White, straight, gay, black, whatever. I just want to see them portrayed as realistic people in a lot of movies that are like serious dramas and whatnot. I don't need to have people tiptoe around something because they're scared to offend somebody. I just need to see show reality, you know what I mean? Um, you, sometimes people will come across like they're they're being negative towards somebody, but at, at times, you know, people misconstrue things. Like, they misconstrued a lot of stuff in movies, for sure. Like, if you were to see something that's uh, a racist character in a movie or, a, a, you know... Um, a character that uh, was a chauvinist piece of crap in a movie, people will be like, well, this filmmaker chauvinist, this character, this person's racist. But having those characters in your movie doesn't make you that. I mean, you're portraying these characters. People are like that in real life. And uh, you should, you know, have them in your movie if it calls for it. I, it's just, it's very complicated. And 
you and it's very subjective in it to people you know i mean sometimes they'll watch something and they'll be like you know this bothers me but it won't bother the next person because they haven't lived the same life it's very complicated have you ever stayed or shot a movie on a location that was supposedly haunted did you actually experience something um i don't know ah, I'm trying to think uh everywhere you go Every building that's old, people are like, it's haunted. 95% uh, of the time, people are just trying to put some excitement in their life. Uh, but I, I'm not very superstitious when it comes to that stuff. I think that the Collingwood Art Center is supposed to... Is it the Collingwood Art Center? Or, yeah, it's supposed to be haunted. I never got scared there. I never seen any ghosts. But it's a big old building, so... Any horror stories or haunted places where you live? Like I said, the Collingwood Center. Um, hell, I was even at Gettysburg when I was a little kid, and uh, I didn't see anything, but... It was cool. Uh, it's got to be a, if there's bad juju, it's in Gettysburg. So many people died there. But uh, any horror stories or haunted places? There used to be this haunted orphanage in the Maumee area. They tore it down. But uh, we went there, and uh, I think I was in high school. And we went in the building with flashlights and everything. And, you know, I'm not superstitious, but that place was creepy, and there was a lot of weird noises. And uh, you know, I was a little bit scared, to be honest. If you lived in Western times, which side of the law would you be on? What would be your Western moniker? Deadly Dave, Perilous Parker? I don't know. I would let, uh, if I was a criminal or what, I would just let, then you can't pick your own name. The people that always pick their own name are never get called that. They're always lame. Like, call me this, call me that. It's like, no, you're, I'm calling you. They just make fun of you. Like, they'll be like, uh, if you're like, call me Perilous Parker, they're like, all right, Pee Wee Parker. They just, they make something up for you and they would just make fun of you. You know, you can't pick your own name. You don't pick your own nickname. That's a no-no. That's etiquette. You don't pick your own nickname. You see like MMA fighters who pick their own nickname. It's like, I want to be Pitbull. It's like, there's 30 Pitbulls. I'm a Pitbull. It's like, come on, man. Stop it. Stop picking your own name. It's not cool. But, uh, so I don't know what my moniker would be. Probably just my name. Uh... If you lived in Western times, I have no idea. Depends. If I had the same life I had, I probably would be uh, on the good side. But you never know, you know. Actually, I probably would have got killed when I was in high school age because I probably would have partied too much and offended somebody and got shot. Uh, say God and the Devil came over for a movie night. Which film would you show to appease them both? The Wild Bunch. I think that uh, it shows uh, there's a lot of bloods uh, in there to, uh, you know, appease the devil but they also it's funny because it's like such like hard men but and bad men at times but there's a certain loyalty in there at times and i think that they could show the suffering in man and uh at doing i don't think it's doing the right thing necessarily but doing doing what they think is right and at the end that sacrifice they make for angel and uh also kind of uh, themselves you know and it, it's just that's the one i would pick what makes a good dvd blu-ray review what should be covered? Story, image, sound, score, and music, bonus features. How many words can the reviewer use for stating their opinion? How subjective, objective should one be? That's a lot right there. Let me get into this. What uh, makes a good DVD Blu-ray review? What should be covered? For me, I think that they should talk a little bit about the picture. I'm not perfect about the picture. I'm pretty bad about picture and sound because it's not my expertise when it comes to... A lot of guys will be like, well, the sound is a little shaky in these parts. The, the quality and video dips here and there. It's just something that I'm a little weak at, and I'm, I'm willing to admit that, and I I apologize for that, but I, I like to make sure I cover the features. If it's an old movie, I like to talk about the features. I like to say, is it worth you know buying it if you have a DVD or Blu-ray already, if you have a Blu-ray and then you want the new features. I think that the features should be covered. If it's an old movie, a release of an old movie, the features should be covered, to be honest. Uh, talking about the features and uh, talking about the movie and whatnot. 
the score is always important, but here's the problem. You like to talk about the things that stand out to you. If you watch a good movie, but the score is rather lackluster, or it just doesn't it doesn't speak to you, or it's just okay, you don't mention it because it's not worth mentioning. But what really stands out to you is really what you'll, you'll mention. You'll give the negatives and positives that stand out to you. A lot of the other things are just completely flat. And when they're completely flat to you or they don't stand out to you, are they really worth mentioning? I, it's hard to say. I mean, there'd be so many sounds okay, uh, soundtracks okay, but I love this. You know, I'd rather talk about the positives and negatives and uh, be fair on them all. Uh, how many words can your reviews use for stating their own opinion? It depends, you know. Uh, I prefer to get straight to the point. I don't particularly like talking about myself. There's a lot of reviewers out there that will start, I came home on this day, didn't watch this, let me point, they paint the picture for you, how their life's doing it. They, they kind of play characters into it. I like to get straight to the point. I like to get to the review. You don't care about me. I don't blame you. You just want to hear what's on the damn DVD. And sometimes I don't do that well. So I, I just like getting to the point, you know. I'm that interesting. The movie's interesting, so... Uh, how subjective objective should one be? Um, sometimes I always try to be subjective because I know it's my opinion, whatnot, but, uh, you should be objective to a certain point. Like if the sound's terrible, like if it's absolutely terrible and stands out like last week, Discord service, I was like, I heard some rattling on the sound. That's objective. That's bad sound. That's just how it goes. Uh, but subjective, you know, you subjective could be, I don't like how this character's story arc full unfolds. It, because I don't find it realistic and somebody could say well the movie's not going for realism here and I like how this character story arc folds because this 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 happened and you can understand it your brain works different so you, you should have a mixture of both um, and uh, I guess certain people have certain styles and differences so it all depends uh, in a word way it depends what you're going for I like the review books I'm um, going back to the previous question about how many words I like the shorter reviews sometimes but if they're going to go into the movie in depth and talk about it and analyze it and do film critique more so on you know a film analyst then that can be as long as you want to write but if it's just a straight kind of review or you know I like to dip back and forth a little bit mostly do film uh, review of the release and then I'll dive into certain things whatever you know stands out to me at the time is what I go for you know I just go off the cuff because my brain is never stopping because I have ADHD as you guys probably know you know but that's just how I work I think other people work differently obviously but uh hopefully they answered your question it was a mouthful of Greek salad they did it I'm sorry but let's uh hop into the update okay let's hop into the update somebody asked me what I got on the Criterion uh sale and uh last uh, last week i showed some of it here's the rest of it dead man by uh, jim 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 jarmusch uh with johnny depp alfred molina crispin glover robert mitchum uh lance hendrickson uh jesus michael wincott the list is endless gary farmer billy bob thornton this was a really great western uh black and white looks great uh it's really cool stuff. Uh, you know, I'm not the biggest Johnny Depp fan, but he's perfect on that one. Great movie. Been a while since I've seen it. We have uh, Love Streams by John Cassavetes. You know, I recently watched one of his films, and I wanted to check out some more. This is, like, the only one Criterion did that's not in the box set. So, yeah. Cool stuff. And then we got the John Cassavetes box set. Uh, five films in here, uh, including A Woman Under the Influence and uh, the rest of them right there. Shadows, Faces, uh, Killing of a Chinese Bookie, two versions. So that's pretty cool. Opening night. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I wasn't familiar with this film. So I knew him as an actor from Rosemary's Baby and The Dirty Dozen and The Fury. So, uh, yeah, this is really cool. I'm excited to check that out. Then we got one from Artsploitation, Perfect Obedience. Uh, 
Artsploitation always releases these movies that are really well made, but uh, they just like tackle something that shouldn't. <laughs> it's like, should this even be a movie? But this involves a priest and whatnot. It's probably very bothersome. Even the cover is just. I, I collect kind of the artsploitation movies or check almost all of them out if I, I get the chance to. But that looks pretty, uh, pretty um, terrible. Just uh, miserable, you know, obviously, about uh, pedophilia and stuff. Probably very uncomfortable to watch, similar to the movie The Treatment. And the last of my Kino sale came in, The Crucible, uh, with Daniel Day-Lewis, Winona Ryder. It's been a while since I've watched this. I think I had to watch it for school. And, you know, every movie you're forced to watch for school, you're like, this sucks! But then I always thought about it. I always remembered it, and I always loved Daniel Day-Lewis's speech at the end about his word and whatnot. I kind of wanted to see it again. Then we have uh, Flesh and Blood by Paul Verhoeven with um, Tom Berenger and Rutger Howard in it. Yeah, never seen this one. I think Brian James is in this movie too, but yeah, looking forward to checking that out. Love that cover art, by the way. Then we have Chosen Survivors. I had this old DVD, uh, the double feature with something Earth Dies Screaming, which is actually a pretty cool movie too. But uh, Chosen Survivors, this is, a, this is a cool movie, a post-apocalyptic movie about a bunch of survivors in this... Uh, this uh, weird shelter. I like it. It's been a while since I've seen it, but uh, cool stuff. Alex Cord's in here. Some other, some other Lincoln Kilpatrick's in here as well. Some other familiar faces. We have a uh, Spellbinder. I believe this is a Kino Scorpion release. Not seen this. Uh, don't know much about it. No, it's kind of like a thriller. But uh, yeah, wanted to check it out. And uh, another one, the Serpent Slayer. I think there's uh, Jeff Fahey in here. Scorpion again, I think, Kino. Uh, or is it a Code Red? This is a Code Red, actually. I know that, uh, you know, Evil Cat, Jeff Fahey. I'm in. That's from the Kino sale as well. And last is a DVD, On the Yard, uh, with John Hurd. It's a prison movie. Not seen it. But, uh, yeah, I like prison movies, and uh, I like Scorpion. So why not? Wanted to check it out. Not heard many people talk about it. But, yep, that's the update. Now, back to the video. I hope you guys enjoyed the updates. Uh, thank you very much for watching, and as always, you guys have a good one. Hey!